Thanks for listening to iTruths, the teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church of Texarkana, Texas. I'm Richard Hornock, the senior pastor of Fellowship Bible Church, and the following is a message that I delivered during one of our Sunday morning worship services. I trust that it will be beneficial to your walk with Jesus Christ. Thanks again. Back in uh, May, Vicki and I and uh, some of our kids had the chance to go to uh, Rome. And uh, it was an incredible trip, wonderful trip. This story that I'm about to tell you didn't happen on on that trip to Rome. It happened on a previous trip to Rome. Fifteen years ago, uh, Vicki's father turned 80 and he took us all uh, on a really cool cruise and... uh, we got to do a day in Rome, and we were uh, in Rome seeing a lot of the stuff that is there. We were on this bus going along, and the guy was talking to us, and uh, he was telling us all this stuff, and he said, now on your right is this building, and uh, you know, that was built like 125 years ago, and he told us who built it, and I mean, it was an impressive building. And then he said, but on your left is the Roman Forum. And I looked over there, and all you could see was all this rubble and uh, some ruins and all this stuff. And what was the problem was all of us were looking at this building, this, this beautiful big building on the right, and none of us were looking at the ruins on the left. And the guy got frustrated because he's got a bus full of tourists and we're all looking off to the side and uh, we're looking at the 100-year-old building and we're missing the 25-year-old or 2,500-year-old Roman forum. And he goes, stop, stop. That's nothing. You can go to Washington, D.C. and see that. You can go to New York and see that. You can go to any big city and see that. This over here, the Roman Forum, that's why you came to Rome. That's why Rome is famous. And you know, it all hit me that, you know, there's so many times that we will value something and in the process not value something that is far more valuable. I've told you the story of when uh, I was in high school, we had a a kid on our football team who ended up ultimately playing for the Colts, the Indianapolis Colts. And uh, he was an All-American at Arizona State, uh, you know, super, super good uh, football player, recruited, you know, by lots of universities, but ultimately went to ASU. And one day, Frank Cush who was the head coach of Arizona State, who ultimately became the head coach of the Indianapolis Colts, he came to our school to talk to Gary about coming to their university and playing football for him. Well, he's in the coach's office, you know, during P.E., and a friend of mine went in there, and what do you do when you see someone in the coach's office that you don't recognize? He's a substitute, And so what does he do? He proceeds to ask Frank Cush for some towels because we were out of towels in the locker room. Hey, 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 buddy, can you get us some towels? Because you don't treat 
substitute teachers like you're supposed to, you know, and so Randy's being Randy, and he wants the guy to get him some towels, and Frank Cush just kind of looked at him like, I don't do towels, son. <laughs> we do that. With there, there's things that we should value, but because we're valuing something else, we don't value that valuable thing like we should. Now, if you look at the front of the bulletin, today we're focusing in on uh, how we ought to value people. In fact, we're in the middle of a, a series of messages where we're, we're just kind of talking about the feel that our church should have. Uh, you know it, I know it. You go to uh, any organization, whether it's a store, a restaurant, a church, I mean, it has a certain feel. I mean, there's 15 churches in Texarkana, at least, that have the same doctrine as we have, that have the same goals as we have, that, that basically have the same strategy as we have. Probably some of them even have the same programs as we have. But if you know that if you went to each of those 15 churches, they'd all have a unique feel. They wouldn't feel exactly the same. They, they, they'd have their own vibe. Well, we're not asking what kind of vibe does fellowship have. Sometimes I worry of and wouldn't really want to know what kind of vibe we have. What I want to know is what kind of vibe should we have? What kind of vibe should we aspire to have? That's what we're talking about. And we started that last week. And today, what we're saying is we want a person who comes to fellowship to feel valued. Why? Because of what they're going to give? Because of the contribution they're going to make? No. We want them to feel valued because they are a person, whether they're saved or not, who is created in the image of God. Now, I've asked you to turn to Matthew or Mark chapter 12. You know, this is the situation that occurred Tuesday before they crucified Jesus on Friday. This was Jesus' last visit, as far as we know, to the temple. He spent Tuesday morning at the temple basically debating the religious leaders. It wasn't his initiative. The religious leaders saw him coming, and they wanted to discredit him because Jesus was so popular. They were bringing up all sorts of things to Jesus to hopefully discredit him in the eyes of the people. He was way too popular. He had way too much power, and they wanted to discredit him. And so when you get to Roman, uh, Mark chapter 12, you read about all these little conversations that he had. And one of them is, is, is particularly interesting. It starts in verse 13. It says, they, the religious leaders, sent some Pharisees and some Herodians to Jesus in order to trap him in a statement. Now, the thing that's really kind of ironic about it is the Pharisees and the Herodians, that's like saying, I sent some MAGA people along with some real radical right left-wing you know, whatevers, and they went to Jesus to try to trap him. 
They're about as far apart politically, religiously, as you could get, but they all had a common goal, discredit Jesus. And guess what topic they asked him? You can read it there. They asked him about taxes. You want to get some people discussing and and disagreeing, talk about taxes. How much tax should I pay? Zero. Oh, good, right? You'll appreciate the roads you drive on with zero tax. We all know you got to pay a little bit of tax. I mean, someone's got to pay the police. Someone's got to pay the judges. Someone's got to buy the asphalt for the roads. I mean, we got to have some tax, but how much tax is enough? Well, they asked Jesus, should we pay taxes to Caesar? You probably know this story. You can scan through it as I'm talking there. And what does Jesus do? Jesus said, hey, anybody got a coin, a denarius? You know, it's like a a dollar, a silver dollar. Someone got a coin, and sure, somebody pulled one out of their pocket, flipped it at him, Jesus caught it, held it up, and he said, whose image is on this Daenerys? And they said, look at this there in verse 16. They brought him one, they brought him a Daenerys, and he said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said, well, it's Caesar's. It was Caesar's mug that's on that coin. And Jesus said to them, then render or give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God. And it says, and they, the people asking the question, were amazed, or a better translation might be, they were dumbfounded. What do we say now? What was the point Jesus was making? Jesus was making the point that image indicates ownership. Image indicates ownership. These coins, they're not yours. They're Caesar's. And if Caesar wants them all back, just give them all back to him. Because Image indicates ownership. Keep that in mind. A couple conversations later, down in verse 28, Jesus talked to some other people, and now he's going to talk to this other guy. And this other guy comes up to him, and he's going to ask him a question. Look at verse 28. Aiden, will you just hit the, the thing? This thing's not really working so hot for me. Look at what he says in verse 28. And one of the scribes came and heard them arguing, and recognizing that he had answered them well, he said, okay, what commandment is the foremost of all? What's the greatest commandment? And you see what Jesus says? The foremost commandment, verse 29, is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. That's what the guy asked. What's the greatest commandment? And Jesus quotes Deuteronomy 6. You're supposed to love God. That's how God's people are supposed to be towards him. Now, the guy never asked a question like, well, what's number two, what's number three, and what's number four? 
But look what Jesus does in verse uh, 31. He goes ahead and gives him the second one. The second one is, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There's no other, great, other commandment greater than these. Now, this is kind of interesting. You don't pick this up right off the, the top here. But the first commandment came out of Deuteronomy 6. Everybody knew Deuteronomy 6. That's like John 3, 16. You know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only... Anyone and everyone pretty much knew Deuteronomy 6. But guess where that second quotation comes from? Leviticus 19. Leviticus! I mean, who in their right mind studies the book of Leviticus, except for women at Fellowship Bible Church, okay? Leviticus 19, that was not on the tip of anybody's tongue. And Jesus said, but the second one is like the first one. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, why would Jesus have thrown that in? Hit the space bar, Aiden. Image indicates ownership. Why am I supposed to love my neighbor? Because he keeps his yard well? Because he's rich and sometimes he'll invite us out for dinner and pick up the tab? Because, you know, he, he seems like he's going to have a nice house and his house value will go up, which will drag my house values up? Why am I supposed to love my neighbor? Because he or she is in the image of God. They've got the image of God stamped in them. Write this down. Genesis chapter 1. How were human beings created? Human beings were created in the image of God. The reason, believe it or not, a human being is more valuable than a dog or a cat, or a horse, or the deer out in the field, is because they are in the image of God. Saved or unsaved? Republican or Democrat? Yankee or Southerner? Black or white? Every human being is created in the image of God. An image indicates ownership, or maybe I could have, in this case, expanded it. Image indicates representation, who, who that person is representing, or at least should be representing, and therefore I treat that person with that kind of respect and dignity. In a way, every human being on the face of the earth, all seven billion of us, soon to be 8 billion, are created in the image of God and therefore are representatives, or at least should be representatives, of God Almighty. Whether they know that mission or not, whether they buy in to that mission or not, whether they accept the truth of what's going to make it so that they really could do that mission well, like by 
recognizing they're a sinner who needed a savior and God sent his only begotten son into the world not to condemn the world but to redeem the world that through him they might be the image of God they're supposed to be here's the deal the reason we value people or should value people is not because oh my goodness we're behind on the budget and they look like they got some chips and they might dump some chips into our baskets and that's going to make it life a little better they might buy all the toys we need for operation christmas child and andy and richard won't have to do an auction so we can do that or man we we need more people in awana and those people look like they're servants and man i'm so glad they're here look what they can give to us or man you know, we need someone who will do this and that and this other thing. We, we value you because you're here. Now, get over there and start working. Why do we value people? It's not just because of the contribution they may or may not make. Shoot, it might not even be because they're going to vote for the same people we're going to vote for. We don't value them because of what they might give to us. We value them because of what God imprinted in them. At its basic level, people, human beings, are valued because they bear the image of God. We are to first and foremost love the Lord our God with all our heart mind soul and strength Deuteronomy 16 but don't forget Leviticus 19 that says and love those neighbors because they are image bearers that's why we value people or at least should value people now this is fascinating turn with me to James chapter 2 Aiden if you'll advance it there Aiden look at James chapter 2 look at what Jesus's physical brother does with this whole concept James the brother of Jesus he wrote a book a letter to some Jewish folks telling them how to do well when things were really, really bad. Basically, the theme of the book of James is being your best when things are at their worst. And if you'll ever read through the book of James with that in mind, a lot of the stuff that's in there will make a lot of sense. Being your best when things are at their worst. One of the things those people were really, really battling is they were in the financial straits and being hurt financially, big time. And there were wealthy people who were taking advantage of them. You know, in those days, there wasn't the government entities that could make sure that employers were treating their employees the way they should. You could, might go out to someone's field and work all day long, and at the end of the day, that guy would stiff you, wouldn't give you a dime. He didn't care. He just cheated you. And who's going to go and make him do it right? Nobody in that society. It just wasn't set up. And so here were one of the things these people were battling, and it comes out several times in the book of James, is there were these well-to-do folks 
who were particularly persecuting financially these Christians because a Jewish person did not like a Christian, these Jewish Christians that James was writing to. Well, with all of that in mind, look at the situation that James describes. What if one of those really, really raunchy, mean, horrible, wealthy people came to church? Or better, maybe better, came to the small group that met in someone's big living room. And you're going to pack out this living room and there's going to be 15 or 20 of you. And here's this guy that had been shafting everyone and he shows up for small group. And we're all believers, but we're pretty sure he's not a believer. That's the situation James is talking about. Look at verse 1, James chapter 2, verse 1. My brethren, do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. For if a man comes into your assembly with a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes, that's how you know he's really wealthy because he's got the signs of wealth, but there also comes in a poor guy with dirty clothes. You know, he's poor because he doesn't even have the, the means to wash his clothes. He's got dirty, filthy clothes on. The other guy, I mean, he's dressed to the hilt. Look at verse 3. And you pay special attention to the one who is wearing the fine clothes. And he's not just saying this as a hypothetical situation. James knows this has actually happened. And it happens regularly. He walks in and you say to him, oh my goodness, I'm so glad you're here. You sit here in the good place. But you say to the, the poor guy, who's probably been all the time, and maybe he's in his dirty clothes because he just came straight from work, or maybe because he was back in the back cleaning the toilets before, so they'd be clean before anyone used them. And you say to him, hey, you, you stand over there, or you sit down here next to the footstool. Have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil motives? Yeah, the answer is yes, you have. Listen, my beloved brethren, did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to give those who love him? You've dishonored this poor man. And, and all throughout it, understand that the emphasis seems to be the rich guy is this guy that, that you know, shafts our people. But boy, he comes to church and we're going to give him a seat. A preferred seat. He's going to get one of those back row seats, you know? We're not going to make him come up and sit on the front like some of you do. We're going to give him the anonymity he wants. We're going to provide him with the best cup of coffee. We're going to provide for him. But that guy that's been with us all along and just can't seem to get it together, doesn't have enough sense to wash his clothes, comb his hair, you know, do something so he's not so stinky. We're not going to treat him nice. And what's James saying? You're showing personal favoritism. 
Now look down through the passage here. Interestingly, look at verse 8. If, however, you are fulfilling the royal law, according to Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing well. Isn't that interesting? What did he call the second commandment that his brother Jesus said was the second most important thing, second only to loving the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength? It's loving others. And he's saying, if you will love others, your neighbor, like you're supposed to love God, you'll do well. You'll do well. But if you show partiality, this is verse 9, you're committing sin and are convicted by the law of transgression. And then he goes into kind of a detailed thing, but essentially he says that's, that's like murdering that person to treat that person poorly because of some external thing that you perceive. It's like murdering the image of God in him. Now, we could go into a little bit more detail with the passage, but I think you get the point. What's the point James is making? He's right with his brother. Image indicates ownership. Image indicates ownership. But he's taking it another step. You know what he's saying? He's saying that how we treat others is indicative of our spiritual maturity. It's like a barometer. It's like one of those gauges on your car. Your spiritual temperature is, bait, is, is, is indicated by the love you show or do not show to this neighbor, to this image bearer. So, so what do we do with this? I mean, you know, okay, that, that, that was really interesting, Richard. We're, we're supposed to love people, treat them nice, be kind to them, because people are created in the image of God. We're going to give to Caesar the things that are Caesar because it's his image that's on those things. We're going to love our neighbor because our neighbor is created in God's image. What do we do with that? What's the so what? of all this. And particularly, what's the so what since we're, we're talking about our culture? What, it, what, it, what, is, what is the, how should this impact our church culture? If, it, if really and truly, every one of us in this room, every one of us, that, anyone who potentially could come into this room, whether we agree with them politically, whether we disagree with them about prophecy, whether we disagree with them on whatever, or maybe they, maybe they look different. They don't look like us. They don't have the same skin color as us, or maybe they don't have the same style as us. Maybe, maybe they don't have the same education as us. Maybe they're just different than us. Not good, not bad. They're just different. They grew up someplace else. They don't have our accent. 
how should this information affect the culture that Fellowship Bible has? If, in fact, we're saying we want someone who comes here, whether they buy in or not, whether they're saved or not, whether they're voting with us or not, whether they have the same views with us on lots of different issues or not. I mean, just, just, I mean, this is a rich guy that's been shafting half of us. If he comes to church, how should we want him to feel? And that's even particularly challenging if that guy comes and he's not even a believer. How do we want him to feel? What vibe do we want him to give? I mean, if he's created in God's image, what should he catch from us? Well, let me just offer three things that I think in light of all of that, three things to grab onto. The first one is for us, we have got to be so careful about being seduced by the world's values. Every one of us. We fall in to the trap of honoring what the world honors. And what does the world honor? Wealth, beauty, skill, talent, achievement. I mean, it's afternoon. It's almost a, any TV that's going to be on is going to be watching millionaires, multimillionaires who are multimillionaires because they can run and throw and tackle and all that stuff. Wasn't it ironic that the highest paid player in NFL history actually played so poorly last week, they benched him halfway through the game. But we value them. And I can guarantee you, if one of them walked in our midst and we knew who they were, we'd be tempted to Oh, here's the best seat in the house. If one of the homeless people who are outside the stadium that, that basically is just hoping to pick up some of the popcorn that's on the street, if that guy walked in, we'd all get on tensed up, you know, wondering what he's here to steal, wondering what he's here to do, you know, be suspicious of him. We're all seduced that way. I think one of the things that, one of the takeaways of this is I need to really go back to a, a gut check and say, am I looking at individuals for what they give to me or based on what God has given to them? You know, in the 9.30 hour, they're, they're discussing this. And uh, I want to encourage you to come at 9.30. Great discussions uh, in, in the 9.30 hours because they're talking about these kinds of issues. And, you know, I'm probably the worst person in the world. You know, a lot of times the only reason I reach out to someone is to ask them to do something, to do something for me. In fact, I remember about 10 years ago, it really made me feel bad. And... Uh, uh, I called someone, he's not with us anymore, and maybe this is why he's not with us anymore, I don't know. But I called someone, and, and you know, we, we had like the 30-second, you know, small talk chat, and he goes, hey, listen, I'm really busy, so what is it you want me to do? And I'm like, 
wait a minute, I'm offended. And he goes, no, 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 come on. The only time you call me is because you want me to do this, or you want me to fix that, or you want me to do this other thing, or whatever. And he says, I'm, I'm cool with that. I know that's what your job is. So what is it? i got to get back to work. Can you just tell me what you want me to do? And, you know, I, I kind of said, well, if you put it that way, I don't want you to do anything. I just want to know how you're doing, really. You know, and I lied to him. So, uh, uh, you know, because, I don't know, I just made it a second phone call. You know, why do we care about people? Do we care about them because they agree with us? Do we care about them because they're going to be part of the team that's going to help us carry the load over the goal line? First and foremost, we should care about people because they are created in the image of God. And yes, they have a mandate on their life just like I have a mandate on my life and like you've got a mandate on your life to represent God well. And some of them, the vast majority of them, don't even know that's where they were put on the earth. And the vast majority of them don't even buy into it anyway. But whether they know it or not, I'm supposed to treat them with the love and respect and dignity. Whether they're going to vote for my candidate or not, whether they're going to support my causes or not, whether they, they are going to be a, quote, good influence on my kids or not. I'm supposed to love them like I love the Lord. Does that mean I, I just totally check out and compromise and, and tolerate? No, but I speak the truth with grace, with honesty that's been tempered, as it were, with salt. Don't be seduced by the world's values. We're living in a world that loves so many things that really should not be loved. We shouldn't be those kind of people. You know, there's a second challenge that I think comes out of all of this, and that is there is that balance that we're to prefer one another just want a Bible verse, we won't take the time to go to it, but Romans 10, verse, uh, tw- uh, Romans 12, verse 10, says to prefer one another. And let me just ask you that. Okay, here comes the person in who does have the dirty clothes, who is kind of stinky, but that's a person that is a believer. Who do we rather associate with the guy in the not with the gold ring and the nice thing or do we want to prefer this brother or sister in Christ that maybe needs a lot of help and a lot of coaching and a lot of discipleship and and just a lot of things they're working through and they're not the preferred people that we want to lunch with or hang with or sit in the lobby and talk with who would we prefer the wretch the spiritual wretch or the brother or sister in Christ there and it it takes a ton of wisdom in that but one of the things that I think that indicates our value system what do we really value 
We're to value those brothers and sisters that we have in Christ. One more. And you know what? This one was too big to list. And so I just put the passage of Scripture. Take your Bible and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Look at Ephesians chapter 4. Down at verse 25, actually. It's wrong up on the screen. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25. This is the so what of how we are not just to treat one another, I think it's the so what of how we're supposed to treat our neighbor. Whether he votes with us, whether he looks like us, whether he has the same values with us, whether he even is on the same page spiritually as us. Read that passage through with that in mind. How is, you know, just, just for a moment here before I, I step through the passage, and I'm going to do it real quickly, but I want you to think about someone, someone right now. Who would be the hardest person for you to have lunch with? You know, maybe, maybe it's someone that is just way at the other end of the political scene from you. Maybe it is someone that just money-wise is just way at the other end of, the of, of that thing financially whether it is someone who, who just, you know, maybe in terms of entertainment or looks or beauty or education is way far. Who would be the hardest person for you to sit down and have lunch with? Not, not talking Christian versus non-Christian. I'm just talking anyone. With that in mind, listen to what Paul said you should do, what I should do. He said, therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, one of, uh, each one of you, with his neighbor, for we're members of one another. I mean, if the person's a believer, we're members of Christ. If the person's not a believer, we're members of at least this human race, and that person's in the image of God, and I'm in the image of God, and we're here both with the same mandate. I know about it. He doesn't yet know about it. We're both supposed to here be rec representing God. Be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Do not give the devil an opportunity. Let him who steals, steal no longer. Don't quit cheating each other, but rather let him labor performing with his own hands what is good in order that he may have something to share with him who has need. Verse 29, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. Wow, think about that. As you're talking about that person who is way at the other end of that spectrum from you politically or financially or morally or spiritually, I mean, sometimes we just let it slip, and I mean, that person, I mean, they, they just, you know, why don't they go to China if they want to live in China? I mean, is that really what we're supposed to be like as a child of God, speaking about another person created in the image of God? Again, I'm not talking compromise, give up our convictions. I'm just saying, what kind of godliness should we behold? I mean, good grief. Jesus even said, give Caesar, the guy sending Christians to the lions, ultimately, give him back his coins. If he wants them, they're his. He's got his image on them. 
Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, building up according to the need of the moment. What does that person need to hear now that will help them get a step closer to recognizing the mandate upon their life that they're supposed to be here to represent God to the rest of humanity and the rest of creation. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. And then here's verse 32, probably sums it up better than any, any other verse in all of Scripture. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. You know what? We need to be people who value people. Not for what they give to us. Not for the opportunity that we have to now do something in them. We need to value them, not for something they're going to give to us, but because of something God has given to them. When Jesus summed it up, he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor that way too. Who's your neighbor? Who do you need to now start showing value to? Even though it's hard. If someone doesn't come to your mind, I challenge you to come back to this moment until somebody does. Because I can guarantee you, there's someone in your life, there's someone's in your life, there's a class of person in your life that's created in the image of God. And God's calling us to love that person and respect that person and show that person the dignity, not that they deserve, but that God instilled in them. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for the privilege that uh, it is just as a family of believers to really talk about something that, quite frankly, our culture needs to hear about. We are so divided, particularly in the last five years, politically, racially, economically, geographically. And Father, we feel so, uh, we have such strong convictions. And it's good to have strong convictions, but Father, sometimes those strong convictions get the best of us, and our anger does turn into sin, and our distance does turn into a real rejection of not just a view, but a person. Father, we don't want to compromise, but we do want to be your people. We want, we want to treat people that are off from us like Jesus treated them, with love and dignity and respect and speaking the truth with grace and love.
For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.